0: Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of ThinkTrading.com, joined by Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Paul. How's it going? It's going okay, but should we end the lockdown? That's the main question.
1: Well, it's funny you should say that. Uh, funny you should ask that. I've just finished watching one of the most interesting presentations, videos that I've seen uh, since this mess began, and it's from a chap called Dr. Erickson in the States. And obviously we can put a link to the thing, uh, if it's still up on YouTube, that is, uh, if it's not taken down by dark forces. Um, But uh, these two guys, I think, are both practicing um, medical doctors in California. And after listening to these guys and listening to some asinine interjections by members of the uh, mainstream media, uh, (laughs) funny that, uh, I was left with the, well, I, I, my immediate tweet in response to this is: It is looking increasingly likely that the Great Depression of 2020 was brought to us all quite unnecessarily by scared politicians, grandstanding experts, and an appalling media. Good job, guys. Um, so these guys aren't having any of it, uh, and they—they—I mean—they make a lot of points. And it, it, I'd encourage anybody to, to to go firsthand rather than have me parrot uh, an abbreviated and distorted a uh, piece of what they say, but it, it, if I just cite one thing, they, they make the point that this may be the first time in history where uh, we've quarantined healthy people rather than sick people. Yeah. It doesn't, none of it makes any sense.
0: If we look at um, what Nassim Talib, like trying to sift through what this is all about and going back to when we initially started talking about the virus and we weren't sure because we just didn't know what it was about, then we, there was so much disinformation. But some people will write on it saying, no, no, this is bad, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, taking a risk perspective, which Nassim Taleb does, who I Mm. respect highly, and he was saying, look, we don't know what this is, so you need to lock down quickly and early, but the government, government didn't. But now I think we've, to be fair, I think we've got some better information. I mean, they don't need the ventilators, apparently, that. Um, the ventilators may be
1: doing more harm than good.
0: Well, yeah. So they've got a bit more information about that. And um the numbers so far in a country like Sweden, where they haven't really done very much other than let the general public, you know, be sensible. And yeah. it seems like they are being sensible, and it seems like that seems to be working. Well, so-
1: the if you remember, I don't know if you saw the Swedish doctor virologist that we've chatted about in the past, possibly a week uh, or so ago. Uh, Giesecker, I think his name is, but it was on, uh, I think it was Lockdown TV via Unheard. But he was someone who was highly critical of of Neil Ferguson and the Imperial forecast of like half a million deaths, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think what, what that what that gentleman was basically saying was, you know, this thing is, you know, COVID, coronavirus is everywhere. Everyone's going to get it. so. The you know the the kind of the the the, the so so called poo pooed herd immunity thing is actually a it seems to be a perfectly realistic way of of you know of handling it. Now I c- can accept that in the early stages when when data was you know scarce and people were understandably very concerned. You know politicians made decisions. I mean it's like it, it, our job is dealing with uncertainty. Is yes. I mean. The nature of investing or trading is dealing in a Because we don't know what the future holds. So what we can do is use whatever analysis we can and make rational decisions on a, a, risk, a risk-adjusted basis. That's what every investor does or, or should be doing. So I can understand why politicians made the decisions they did at the height of the crisis. But, I mean, there's a nice piece by uh, Daniel Hannan in today's Telegraph uh, titled If Sweden succeeds, lockdowns will all have been for nothing. Uh, and making the point that the one reason why politicians might now be resistant to easing the lockdown is this this principle that I'm sure you'll know called the sunk costs fallacy. Yes, yes.
0: Indeed. And the
1: sunk cost fallacy is, is also something that's probably going to affect things like projects like HS2, which is once you've committed to a, a plan, a, a policy, an investment, and then thrown a lot of money at it, that whatever that wadge of money is then becomes the reason for continuing, even though you may spend... Huge amounts more on top of that original wadge of money. In other words, you say, well, we've, we've, there's a line from Macbeth which addresses the same problem in perhaps slightly more colorful language, which is, he says, I am in blood, stepped in so far that should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as goer. Uh. Now he's talking about, you know, mass, mass murder and stabbing people and stuff oh, right. like that. But, but I think the analogy still holds is that we've gone so far now that we can't go back. You, know, you need to kill everybody. Well, it's
0: um, funny you so should... So I, I think that point about sunk cost fallacy is absolutely correct. Funny you should say that. So I, I just want to divert off to um, Alfred Hitchcock, which you might yep. think is a bit of a strange link. No, nah, it's
1: perfectly within the mandate of the, of the uh, State of the market podcast. Well,
0: state of everything, so we can talk about everything. But he, asked, This is true. So I was watching a documentary about him, and he was saying that he would develop a script and then spend a load of money on it and then realise it didn't work. And he said... But you've got to dump it if it doesn't work. You dump it and forget about it and leave it there. It doesn't matter if you spent, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And I thought, wow, he'd he'd make a good trader. He would have made a good trader. Well, I think sort of also
1: actually. I think it's Raymond Chandler that said you have to. A good author has to kill his darling. Yes. In other words, everyone has to do painful things from time to time, but in the cause of creating either a profit or a great piece of work or
0: whatever. But coming back to the original point was. I, you see, I don't think you can criticize the government on both ha- on both sides. You can't say they should have locked down and they shouldn't have locked down at the same time. I think they could have locked down a bit quicker, but I, I think the point. Who every everybody? W- or w- just w- w- no, 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 Let me let me just finish. So, but once you once we're at this stage, we have more information. We know what's going mm. on. We can make a decision because, like every. every Every government, and, it, you know, and Twitter is a great example of this, every opinion, you're going to have people arguing so vociferously on both sides. Well,
1: passionately without any command of the actual reality. Well,
0: exactly. And we're, just yeah. trying to, we're all just trying to get, Get the facts. You know how dangerous mm. really is this. If they did unlock, would suddenly loads of people die or not? You know, this is these are really important. This things.
1: is this is why you have to watch. So this thing is fifty minutes. Is, yeah. it's, it's, you can find it. It's called Doctor Eric's Doctor Ericsson COVID nineteen briefing. Yeah, and it's already. It was only up. It was only put up on the twenty third of April, which is three days ago. It's already had nearly two million views. Well, I'll definitely so, be
0: watching it straight after this. But the so a, lo- a
1: lot of a lot of people have found it useful. I I think. Certainly, I did. And I mean, I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to give sort of sound bites. I prefer people to, to hear the whole thing firsthand. But one thing these guys point out is millions of cases, very few deaths. Yeah. So, I, so in terms of the ultimate outcome, I know I'm not trying to be heartless because obviously, you know, you get into this grisly thing about mortality rates and all the rest. But he makes the point that, you know, millions of people, you know, the, the, the infection rates in the cities and elsewhere, you know, are the order of 20% plus. So, this thing is, this thing is all, alter- everyone's going to get it one way or another, whether we like it or not. So the lockdown no longer, all the lo- all any form of lockdown can now do is, is basically, you know, uh, let's say control access to, or control pressure on healthcare systems. Yeah. So, um, but, but, he, but he makes the point that from his analysis of the data that he has, and he's been obviously collating data from all over the States and elsewhere, um, the ultimate fatality rate is of the order of something like, uh, for the population as a whole, it's, I, think, I think the figure he cited was 0.03%. In other words, your risk of, of dying, of get, I don't know if it was getting the disease and then dying or just getting the disease, but I think getting the disease and dying from it is something like 0.03%. Yeah. Is that worth throwing the economy into the deep freeze and putting half the world under house arrest and it, assuming those figures are Broadly correct. The answer has to be no, because as, as he goes on to make the point, for you know, for every person that's potentially saved from a death by COVID nineteen, there are people who are being raped, who are being um, you know abused at home, mm. um, that are being uh, that are having all kinds of trauma inflicted on. Them. There are people who are suffering from uh, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, uh, cancer. They are too scared to go to hospital. So it is not, you know, in all the sort of grisly sort of mm. mathematical accounting for this, all these grisly equations, it is not enough to say, you know, well, look what COVID-19 is doing. Because he puts it in context, says this is the, 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 as my take from this, and I may have misremembered or misinterpreted some of the stuff, is this disease is less dangerous than ordinary flu.
0: Okay, and yeah. and so
1: the part of the problem is then so, so taking that at face so even assuming that's true, taking that at face value, then there we the, one of the massive problems we have is that first you've got politicians made uh, big decisions on the spur of the moment with one hopes the best of intentions and or the best data they had at the time, helped by experts. Not not all of them agree with each other, and let's not let's not sort of point fingers on, on that front. But I think everybody knows who I'm likely to be alluding to. And then you've got the media fueling the fire. And, and, and so that then this sort of grisly, you know, every day, I mean, I barely, and I try to wean myself off the news anyway, for any number of reasons, oft discussed on these podcasts. But one thing it is achieving nothing is basically just having this annual sort of like this, this, this daily sort of taxi bill number of, oh, so many people have died. Yeah, but. People die all the time. People yeah. die of various things. So yeah. it's not like COVID-19 has replaced all the other forms of dying yes. uh, right now. So this thing is being badly, badly reported, wildly overblown, arguably, by people in the mainstream media, who I hope will have no future once this pandemic is over. Because they've, 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 they're, they're, they're part of the problem, not part of the solution.
0: Before all this blew up, I did a quick Google search, found on the BBC website, I have to say, uh, a report that was put out on the 4th of December 2019 and I had to get it up again while we were talking because I almost can't believe the numbers. How many people do you think die around the world from flu? From normal flu, the one that we've got a vaccine for each year? Guess. I don't know, a million. Okay, it's 650,000. Yeah. And how many get severely ill, do you think? I don't know. 5 million. Yeah. So what I'd really like to know, and th- these this is from the BBC website. Okay, you can how how do eggs protect us from flu? There's a report there. Yeah. And you know, I know this is different, but y- you know, you 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 may have an extended period of illness whereby, you know, a relatively unwell person could be in this state where they're fighting for their lives, which is which yeah. is obviously awful. And we've got to do everything we can to, to, to try and prevent that and help the NHS, you know, to deal with these these, you know, these cases. But what I would really like to see, you know, being a guy who likes charts, is a chart of normal flu and a chart of this flu. Side mm. by side, number of cases, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Number of deaths.
0: Yeah, yeah. number of cases. Well, number of deaths, yeah. And, and taking into account that, you know, if you or I got flu, I don't know when the last time you got flu was, but... Uh, several,
1: years, several years ago. Me too. If, if, if it was even that, if it was even... Because this is a big joke about man flu, which yes, is yes. the particularly virulent strain that only men get, which is infinitely worse than what women get. Well,
0: no, I mean, I think... Mm. There are people who've never had flu and they don't really know yeah. what flu's like, but the mm. test of whether you've got flu or not, I know flu is, if there was like 50 or 100 pounds in your back garden and you're in bed, would you get up and go and get it? Yeah. And if you've got flu, I guarantee you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't. would not get it. You would not get it. You feel like you're dying. You really yeah. do. And and that is that is the thing. That's what flu feels like. So it's it's nasty and awful at the best of times, but... You know, just trying to sift through exactly what you're saying. You know, there are businesses out there that are dying themselves. Yeah. You know, people are being sensible. You go out, they will I you know some people are idiots, I know. They they won't they won't get close, they get close to you, they walk a bit close to you, but well they but,
1: jog, they jog close to you. Yeah, jog, exactly. joggers have become the new cyclists. Yeah,
0: you know, it, it is annoying. I mean, I was I went for a run on the Heath uh the other week, and I have to say there was uh, people were just too close to each other, and I thought yeah. oh, I'm going to just do this really early in the morning, not not at a normal time. Mm. But there was one very very big guy out running, shouting, "Get out of my way!" Which I
1: thought, <laughs> <laughs> I just... probably didn't need much 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 prompting. You see a really big <laughs> well, yeah. guy. Well, yeah, he was like <laughs> jogging towards
0: you. It, it was it was quite abusing, really. But I suppose I shouldn't laugh. But it, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you know. Your businesses are are going under because of the these decisions, and I think we're at the point where, you know, we're really.
1: T- I think it seems like we're at a tipping point where if they don't relax it fairly promptly, people are just going to relax it themselves anyway, yeah. and then and, and, and devil take the hindmost.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, I think the, the general public will follow what the government says to to a large extent. I think it helps that the weather's better. Mm. Um, but you know, it it is it is something that I think we should we should definitely start easing the lockdown restrictions now. Get those get businesses back on track, and let's just see how how things are. You know, even if you have to lock down again, I think it's yeah. worth it to do it. Um, but that that's just my opinion. And if the number in numbers in Sweden look terrible. I would be of a different opinion. I'd say, no, they've obviously made a mistake and, you know, it wasn't but that awful.
1: For, from what I recall having seen, Sweden's numbers don't look that massively different from anybody else's. But don't, they don't necessarily look an awful lot worse.
0: No, no, they're not. In I mean,
1: light of the relatively relaxed stance they've, they've had. So there's another thing, uh, another quote I wanted to use, and I've used it before because it's one of my favourites. So uh, this is a quote from Keynes, the, uh, the, the Economist, and this is in relation to the uh, Great Depression. We've involved ourselves in a colossal muddle, having blundered in the control of a delicate machine, the working of which we do not understand. The result is that our possibilities of wealth may run to waste for a time, perhaps for a long time. Now, that strikes me as the perfect way of describing what what you know this accidental combination of sort of government plus experts plus journalists has created, which is, well, I think we can agree it's a colossal muddle. Yes, yes. And also, they, so I've, I've taken issue with, the, the, the language of a delicate machine in the past being being a sort of, uh, I suppose, a, a perfectionist. But the, where I previously said, you know, it's not a delicate machine because the economy is us. if you accept the, the metaphor of economy as a machine, then we've, we've royally screwed it up.
0: Mm. Well, I, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, things can bounce back quickly, relatively quickly, you know, if, if mistakes are, are recognised and things reversed as soon as, as possible. You know, but I I accept there's a lot of damage that's been done and it's not. But it would be
1: it would be it would be inaccurate to call this, if you like, a coronavirus uh, depression. The coronavirus was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. But what actually provoked the Well, actually uh, credit to Sean Corrigan for for calling this the Great Suppression, which is a very good way of putting it. Um, But the Great Depression or Great Suppression is not coronavirus. It's the government governmental response to coronavirus, which is lockdown. Yeah. And as we've already just briefly alluded, that has secondary and, and tertiary impacts that are, have nothing to do with the original uh, illness.
0: It's amazing that Germany are already starting to lift their restrictions, isn't it? I mean, it's...
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I think one thing, I would, that lots of, lots of questions have to be asked after this. And, you know, I'm not sure the media is necessarily focusing on the right ones now, if, if they ever have. But one of them has to be, you know, there's this a veneration of the, of the NHS in the UK, and I'm not criticising anybody that works for it, but the the entity itself has to be you know, there has to be some investigation to you know things like procurement and also preparations for a pandemic. So I was, I was watching a, a presentation by Ronnie Sturfely, who we had on uh, some while back, who's um, at Incrementum in Liechtenstein and is a fellow Goldbug, and he you know he makes the point that um, you know i i was going to make i was going to make a i was going to quote him or something and I've, I've managed to derail my train of thought but um i, I think it was along the lines of yeah this is this is not the coronavirus crisis it's 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 the the second order effects imposed by politicians that uh, that people ought to be bearing in mind but since i mentioned ronnie might also add that you know if this isn't the perfect environment now for you know gold and and real assets and i i frankly don't know what what will be
0: yeah yeah so with that in mind, we had a question that I've spent a few minutes this morning trying to find, and I don't know where it came from now because it was a few days ago, um, so I can't locate it. But the, the 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 gist of the question was, if you can't buy gold bars, is it a good idea to start buying gold, perhaps silver coins as well? Um and I, I don't know whether that's a fair question to you because it's...
1: No, well, I mean, the, the, the most honest answer I can give is we, we do both. So, you know, in the, in the ladder of, of presumed risk when it comes to real assets, we, we own effectively exclusively things relating to um, the monetary metals, that is gold and silver, because they've always been money. They've been money good for thousands of years. Um, so the starting point for that really ought to be bullion itself, physical bullion, and that clearly can be done you know you can buy coins, uh, particularly silver coins, get so inexpensive relative to gold uh, as, a, as a dollar price per, per ounce. Um, but you can buy the physical asset. You can buy the physical asset in the form of a you know closed ended fund or an ETF, provided that um, that gives you access to allocated gold that can't be rehypothecated or lent out because you don't want to be you know you don't want to be queuing up to get your gold back when there's a run on it, which there could be at any moment if that run hasn't even started. Um, so you start with a physical asset, uh, both assets in this case, so both gold and silver in whatever form is, is easiest for you and and sort of most, most price efficient for you. and then depending on your risk appetite, you can then go up the 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 risk curve so or the risk ladder. so um, the royalty and streaming companies are a particular favorite of mine. those are companies that don't really expose you to exploration or production risk because they they basically pay to get sort of cheap gold or silver off. Industrial miners, um, and then you've got large cap gold miners, and then you've got small cap gold miners. And I think the critical thing—I mean, I—I I, I thought we'd touch on this anyway when when you spoke today. I, I mean, I'm amazed at the resilience of of stock markets and the the power of the relief rally or dead cap bounce rally that we're currently experiencing. Mm. I do not think this is going to last, but uh, that's you know, by the by, and I welcome your thoughts. But basically, the way I'd look at it is if you if you think there's merit in basically having whether, whether you want to call it inflation protection, portfolio diversification, crisis insurance, tail risk, all of these things. If you think there's merit in that, then yes, it, we would argue that it makes sense to have physical, physical bullion plus um, large cap exposure plus small cap exposure. But the critical thing is to ensure that if you are owning stocks, whether they're gold miners or anything else, ensure those companies have little or no debt because debt is going to be the killer for businesses Went you know throughout the duration of this crisis and and coming out the other side.
0: What about numismatic coins?
1: Uh, I, okay. I don't know enough about them to be mm. honest. So that they're absolutely you know part of part of the part of the game, but you you need to be a specialist in that. That's the stuff that has a value above and beyond the sort of nominal nominal value of the coin.
0: Yes, indeed. I, when so it's, it's
1: collectors' items stuff. So
0: when when that question was asked, that's what I what I thought the person meant. You know, and and exactly that it's a specialist mm. area. And you'd you'd have to speak to an expert about it. Yeah. Um, and because there's all sorts of other reasons why you might want to buy a numismatic coin as opposed to just like a straight gold bar or a straight gold coin. Mm. But um, but that's that's for the individual, really. It depends on their risk and their, their sure. appetite, et cetera. Um, so great. Look, we've got another question that came through. Actually, it's in four parts. So we'll take it one part of at a time, I think, just for the sake of simplicity, from Julian Spencer via email. He says, really enjoying the extra 10 podcasts on the t- on top of the usual state of the markets. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, his question is a question about cash. And you say, you talk about cash not being a good place to have your money currently, mainly due to security risk with banks. However, I would like to point out the following. Each government, so number one, each government backed, Bank obviously provides eighty five thousand of cover, eighty five thousand pounds of cover. So as long as your cash is not concentrated, you should be fine. SIPS may be a more tricky risk. Now a SIP is a something that's peculiar to the UK. It's a self invested
1: -invested personal portfolio. Yeah, I
0: think they call it a four hundred one k in America. So if if you know what that is, so um, so I would just interject very quickly if you are relying on that eighty five thousand pounds worth of cover from the government then there's serious problems sure uh, in the first place, sure. and how long it would take for that cover to to actually pay you out could be you know quite a long time potentially but but let's let's uh it's a question for you tim so
1: yeah no I think you I think you've beat me to the punch that it, so if you're if you're expect to, if you're relying on the eighty five thousand coverage under the financial services compensation scheme then. Um, you might also want to bear in mind that the whole nature of fractional reserve banking is conditional on on people never actually um, calling, questioning the existence of the the nature of the banking system. Because if everyone goes to get their money out of the bank at the same time, the bank falls over. Um, in other words, the, the whole thing is a Ponzi skip. The whole thing is a shell game. And it's reliant on that never happening, on there on the never being a mass migration of deposit holders to get their money back because that money doesn't exist. Mm. The bank doesn't have it. Um, so the financial services compensation scheme is fine in theory, but in practice, if it were actually called upon, I'm not sure it would. I'm not sure that wouldn't fall over either. Yeah. But let, let's just work on the presumption that it it it, it does have validity. Yeah. Um, then it's it, it's certainly prudent to spread the risk around so that you you don't have that exposure to begin with. But obviously, for the very well healed, that's easier said than done. So one reason for that for that precise reason, what we've recommended to clients is instead of having let's say meaningful slugs of cash on deposit in the bank own a short term government bond fund instead so uh, own the equivalent of like uk t bills or, or very short term uk guilt out to maybe sort of 2 3 year maturities yeah. um so that in extremis and this is really in extremis you know protection you know it, you would probably rather be um a, 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 you'd rather be you'd rather have the uk government as your counterparty than than you know a- a- xyz bank yes. plc
0: yes indeed and um, yeah, so on the basis of government, on the basis government is effectively printing money at will, it seems unlikely they will now need to raid bank accounts for the same, question mark. One, one would hope so. One, one would hope, hope so, absolutely. Also strikes me as, a politi- as political suicide and would only create more instability in the financial system if they decided to raid the bank accounts. Unless, of course, you're a left-wing Corbyn government, thankfully not an immediate risk. Mm. It also seems highly unlikely that they will let the bank fail. Bank, banks fail so yeah that that may be that may be true but um you know they're going to keep printing money which but that, but that, doesn't, that, does, that to,
1: still that still doesn't mean you want money in the bank though there are probably alternative places to to have i mean i i'm I, I i can see validity for cash as a as a form of liquidity but i would not even though it might sound outrageous i would rather have that liquidity in the form of gold than i would in the form of a, a bank deposit
0: yeah it's amazing how many places don't want to take cash anymore, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. So this is where it, it, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's interesting to see that, you know, there are a few shops now, supermarkets that are not accepting cash. Mm. And that's, frankly, I think that's disgraceful, it's but ca- that's by the by. All very and convenient, think, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't think you can justify it on, on health grounds because if you're going to go the extra mile, then, well, you wouldn't open these, these shops to begin with because well, exactly. the, the people in them are sort of flitting around all over the place like sort of drunken blue bottles. So... The fact that there's, I, I can't believe it's on health grounds. I think it's just that they're, 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 they're inconvenient stores.
0: Well, I, I can understand if those shops can't get to the banks and get, you know, the physical coins and, and notes from the bank. You know, if there's like a, there's not enough staff and it's a small shop or something. Sure, like Sure, sure. But it's, um, but it is, on on health grounds, it doesn't seem to make any sense at all because because I'm
1: I'm very wary of, of of basically any creeping signs that you know because that government can basically say well you know what cash is messy and it's it's old hat so let's have a purely electronic it, uh, cash system which basically means we can make interest rates as negative as we like yeah. and uh, there's nothing you can do about
0: it well it feels like I mean we talked about that on the Glenn Goodman podcast and it feels like we could be <laughs> well um, i mean, like well, way, I mean
1: as you know one of my favorite analysts is, is russell napier and uh, yes. and and I, and I look forward to him joining us in the next few weeks which is going to be terrific and uh, one of the things he's warned about probably more vociferously than anybody else that i can think of is is you know rising financial repression so you know yeah. this 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 mess that we're now stuck in well wh- one reason why i'm so keen on gold is it's not just because I'm a sort of perma-gold bug. It's also because it's, it's conditional on the environment that we're now in. Um, mm. And, you know, if there's one asset that you can own that basically, let's say, removes or deals, mitigates to a certain extent the, the risk of financial oppression, it's gold. Because it's the one, the one asset that government really can't control.
0: Yeah. So part three, he says, you talk about an initial deflationary shock, and certainly there are potential buying opportunities in due course. Cash provides the opportunity to hoover up assets at better prices. I mean, no no one's denying that actually not having debt is a good thing. Um, mm. I think there's, what would you say, at the differentiation between debt and, and actual cash that needs protecting in some way?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we haven't we haven't realistically held bond type assets in any meaningful way for years now. Mm. Um, and I just don't think, I just think there's uh, anything is a, is a better, a better bet now than any, any form of bond, whether it's government or corporate given a, the declining credit quality of the world Mm. and b the, the, the rising risk of inflation or perhaps even hyperinflation given the extent of extraordinary monetary and fiscal stimulus. Um, but no, I, I I don't dispute that you know it make. I mean, it, there's a great line from Buffett that cash plus courage to invest in a crisis is priceless. He's absolutely right. Mm. So all I'm saying is you don't want cash as an asset. You want it purely as a form of liquidity, effectively sort of rainy day powder dry money.
0: Yes, I mean he goes on to put one final point. In. I do accept one needs to monitor inflationary pressures extremely closely and be ready to act. I think that's the key point, isn't it? Like, mm. oh, aren't we already? Seeing massive inflationary pressures pushing into the market, the more the more printing that goes on, the more. And this goes back to your question earlier about the stock market and how it's moving up. Mm. Well, it's probably moving up due to inflationary pressures. It's it's like there's there's more yeah, I mean, there's gonna be more it, and more money. They've absolutely. got one and button, the stock, and keep... the
1: stock market's very close to the source of funds. Yeah. So you know, yes. it, it, you know, it's a very liquid, liquid, liquid market. Uh, it. I would add at this point that we need to kind of, it's, it's worthwhile to you know, precisely define our terms. Inflation is an increase in the amount of money. What we talk about as inflation is typically the rise of prices of goods and services that's a secondary effect. The inflation is already happening because it's monetary inflation. What we call price inflation is, is going to come in the fullness of time. It, it can't happen now because you've got this massive you know, demand shock because it's very difficult to, to buy a car when you can't leave your own home. For example,
0: you may remember, I mentioned, um, Tesla, I think a couple of pods ago, maybe even on the last one of saying Tesla,
1: what's that granddad? Well,
0: you know, (laughs) it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Although that's partly why I use charts. I was saying that the correction in Tesla just took it back to its breakout point when it just went stratospheric. Um, and it's only just come back to, it came back to that breakout point. Which was around thirty-five thousand, and it's just gone back up again. From there, it's now trading at seventy-two. I mean, I am it's I, like, I, hang on a minute, wait, wait, just, just, just hold on. It's like, <laughs> not, not you, the market. Yeah, what is yeah. going on? Oil I, has I, gone I, negative, right? Yeah. So we all can drive petrol cars. Yeah. And, and another point on that, Tim, how much? Do you know how much the government gets per liter of fuel for I, the I, I imagine
1: it. I imagine it's at least half of yeah. it.
0: Well, the wholesales. Sale price is, I think, around sixteen pence. Yeah. And the rest of it is sort of, you know, the retailer. Yeah. A little bit of that is the retailer. Like the rest is the rest of, is the rest is tax. The rest is tax. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So why would they want us to switch over? This is a question I was asking myself before. Why do they want us to switch to electric? Well,
1: I I don't drive, so I'm not the best best, best qualified person to talk about this. But my understanding is, and you can confirm this, that Tesla cars aren't exactly cheap anyway.
0: Oh no, they're. I so, so if they're expensive. like
1: premium, if they're like premium vehicles, then you have to think: well, people's priority when they're finally allowed out of sort of you know you know out of house arrest is not going to be well. Let me find one of the most expensive cars I can possibly drive.
0: But how is it? So if you look at some of the tech stocks and their technicals, they were pointing to a new breakout into a new high. If they're leading the market, unbelievably, we're going to see. Like a a period of sideways price action, and then the market will break into a new high. If every if Main Street follows these tech companies, now that's a big if. But it's it's surprising to see in what would be, you know, of course you're going to have pockets of of companies that do very well, like say Netflix, and you'd understand why Netflix. Yeah, Netflix
1: at least is a narrative there, which is yeah. literally narrative itself, which is people are people, you know, people are bored at home, and so they're going to watch movies that yeah. you can understand. But, but a lot of the rest of it.
0: It doesn't. Mm. It, it it makes it so. When I ask myself the question, how could this possibly happen, given what we're seeing on on you know Main Street, and how much demand has been destroyed, and the only way it could happen is, I guess, if there's massive inflation. Because if you well, have massive the, inflation, the, stock market's going to go yeah. up. That's that's just how it is. But it's not real money. You know, it's it's inflation generated.
1: But I, I cited Ronnie Sturflie earlier, and and I again I was, I was watching his presentation. Uh, the, I think it was the World. It the world gold forum possibly but making the point he was making the point that you know when you have a, a big market you know call it a crash when you have a big a big correction you know you have the initial panic selling and i think we've 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 been part we've been through that already then you have the relief rally and i think now we're we're maybe at the sort of you know the, perhaps the, the the final stage of that and then reality is going to sink in and that period of reality sinking in could last for ages. Mm. As it Basically, you get a sort of a spiral of continually worse news. At the moment, I mean, I think in, in, in somewhat poor taste on in, in a recent podcast, I, I, I used the analogy of a, a ship that had gone down, but none of the bodies had floated up to the surface yet. So we haven't seen, you know, the, I mean, we've seen the, the, the jobless uh, claims, so seen the unemployment filings, but we haven't seen basically, we haven't yet seen some big companies go under. But it's yeah. only a matter of time. And yeah. and that's the big companies, the public ones, let alone the kind of small, the SMEs that account for most of the jobs to begin with that are just quietly folding left, right and centre. So, uh, like you, I think there's a, the, the broader market, the broader stock market is, you know, and particularly pockets of it in the tech sector, but the broader stock market is just utterly delusional now.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, that's the thing you mentioned at the top of the show. We deal in uncertainty. Mm. And if somebody said, is there a chance that the, you know, S&P can collapse. Yeah, of course it can. It can break the lows. It's, it could even, it can even reach
1: new highs.
0: Yeah, of course. It's it's that's every scenario's on the table. The other thing I'd add
1: is is again to cite now the the great man himself Buffett that you know you shouldn't really this would be my advice anyway. You shouldn't really consider holding a stock for 5 minutes if you're not willing ultimately to hold it for 5 years. Mm. I think you need help. I mean again this is the investment perspective rather than the trading perspective, but uh it just strikes me that you you really want to have conviction in what you own right now. And so, and also, let's let's say for the sake of argument, for people who are looking at portfolios and are looking to try and rebuild and you know, you know, uh, you know, and, and and rejuvenate portfolios, you don't have to make it back the same way you lost it.
0: Mm. So, on that bombshell, we will see you next time. Thank you All so best. much. Bye bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.